Welcome back to To The Point at the Latin American program in the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. I'm your host, Benjamin Gadan. Today, my guest is the Foreign Minister of Panama, Erica Moines. The Foreign Minister and I will discuss challenges Panama faces from climate change, from migration from Colombia through the Darien jungle, as well as Panama's challenges navigating geopolitical tensions between the United States and China, two of Panama's most critical economic partners. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity of being here. I wanted to begin by asking you about Panama's approach to migration. Earlier this month, I know you spoke to Secretary Blinken, and I understand migration was on the agenda, including your challenges with migrants traveling from Colombia through the Darien jungle. The data I have suggests that as many as 10,000 migrants are in the Colombian Choco department awaiting entry into Panama. That's according to UN figures. And it's in addition to 2,400 individuals already in Panamanian migrant centers in Darien and Chiriquí. Further complicating the situation, Minister, 20% of the migrants arriving through the rainforest last year were children facing dangerous wildlife and criminal organizations on their journey to Panama. My questions are, what are the causes of this recent surge in migration? And importantly, how can the international community, including the new Biden administration in the United States, help support you? Yes. Um, and, and during my conversation with Secretary Blinken, what I was hoping to do is to draw his attention and the administration towards this migration in particular, because I know that there's a lot of focus in the Northern Triangle, but this is a migration that I think it's just a matter of months before the U.S. starts feeling the consequences. Um, every single migrant that comes here is looking to go to the U.S. They're not interested in staying. We actually um, try to engage them, um, and we have programs to see if they're interested in staying here. Um, most of them, they don't speak the language, um, and they have sort of one focus in mind, and uh, we are extremely concerned. Um, the numbers that you mentioned are correct, but those are the ones that are sort of in the border. There are thousands and thousands more on the other countries um, that are now making their way up. Um, and there are a number of causes in a, we are concerned because we think that this needs a multilateral approach. We are a small country that it's a passage for them, but we, I think we're one of the few, if not the only country that provides a special meals for them, the three meals and for mothers and their children. We do the biometric to understand where they're coming from. We've actually caught a few that um, were uh, flagged by Interpol because they were connections to Al-Qaeda, etc. Um, and there are also, uh, there are multiple concerns regarding their well-being when they're crossing through uh, dangerous... The Darien border is one of the most dangerous borders in the world. The, the forest itself is extremely dense. Um, you can count anything from snakes to just the weather conditions. Everything makes it not only extremely difficult to patrol, but also for people to go by. Um, so it... it it just gives us uh, a, a huge, a great deal of concern. We've asked Colombia to to agree with us to have a more control. Right now, we have no clue who's coming. Uh, they just arrived. We have an agreement at the moment with the Costa Rican side. So we actually collect all of them and we have a controlled flow with Costa Rica. So they know when they're coming, they can expect them and they can take care of them. 
On the Colombian side, we have no clue, no communication. They just arrive. They used to arrive sort of on 20s. Now they're arriving by thousands on a day. Um, and they arrive to a little town that it's, you know, 300 people. So imagine out of the blue, one day your 300 community uh, gets surrounded by a thousand or two thousand of these migrants um, that need attention. Most of them have been through seven days of, of walking through the jungle with dehydration. I mean, there are a number of issues that 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 they have to go through. Um, and we try to the best of our abilities to take care of them and to actually collect them and have a more um, organized uh, approach uh, from a humanitarian perspective. But this is a problem that we need to focus and we need to resolve. Madam Secretary, as you well know, climate change is one of many factors that are promoting the type of migration you've just described in Panama, but really throughout Central America. And Panama is one of the most vulnerable countries to climate change. In recent years, we've seen the Isthmus repeatedly experience severe storms, including some impacts from hurricanes Eta and Iota last November. Droughts have complicated operations at the Panama Canal, while sea level rise has displaced Kuna communities living on islands off Panama's Caribbean coast. In response, we've seen the Panama Canal Authority announce plans to make its operations carbon neutral by 2030, and Panama is trying to slow its high rate of deforestation and incentivize the use of electric cars. My question is, your perception of Panama's role in fighting the climate crisis, both some of the domestic policies that I've just referenced, but also in regional efforts with Costa Rica and Colombia and Chile, and even in the international arena as well, particularly now that the United States is trying to drive much more international coordination on climate. I think we have literally both sides of the equation. We are one of the three countries in the world with carbon negative, not carbon neutral, carbon negative. Um, I hear all these plans from different countries to try to like, well, by uh, in 20 years or in 10 years, we hope to be carbon neutral. We're there. We're, car we're carbon negative on one hand. And that's, I think, uh, a number of things, including the policies, our rainforest, et cetera. But on the other hand, as you well point out, we're extremely vulnerable to climate change. So you can imagine the frustration. Uh, we're one of the countries that feels uh, uh, the impact. Um, just the Panama Canal itself, now they are in the process of uh, a public bid to, to uh, secure a water management system that is going to be over $2 billion. So that's the costs that we have to assume in order to make sure that we have the water that we need to sustain not only the canal, but also the community surrounding. Um, so we, we are trying to assume a great uh, role in terms of leadership. Uh, we have the Panama Ship Registry is one of the largest. It is, in fact, the largest in the world. Um, so between that, the Panama Canal, that we're surrounded by oceans, uh, We've tried to push forward a lot of uh, initiatives on the international front that have to deal with climate change and, and its awareness, uh, particularly the oceans. I, I think we, we forget often how important the oceans are and things like, for instance, illegal fishing uh, or, or the nets that they use. Uh, there, there are a number of things that we can do, and we are surrounded on both sides uh, by oceans. So we have now in the works uh, what is going to be probably, uh, I think, 
will be the fifth country in the world to have a national policy towards oceans. Uh, um, and that just accounts for the importance that we see the ocean. Um, but not only the importance, but what we're trying to teach internally is that Panama is not just your typical tourist destination. We have beautiful beaches, but we are a service and trade-oriented country. And if we, as a trade-oriented country, we can be carbon negative, you can have other uh, developed countries uh, do the same and, and have the same approach towards climate change. The United States obviously has been focused a lot on the so-called IUU fishing issue, as well as the marine conservation, something that, that former Secretary of State John Kerry, now the Special Climate Envoy, has focused on as part of the, the response to the climate crisis. Just very briefly on this subject, have you found the United States is, is eager to partner, whether on marine conservation that you reference, on combating overfishing, on renewable energy, um, on you know promoting the, the green economy? Have you found a good partnership so far um, including following the, the Earth Day drive um, driven by the new administration? Well, I, I think that the, the climate summit that just recently passed a few days ago uh, was key in signaling the commitment and driving momentum and energy towards uh, a very important issue. I think coming back from the pandemic, all countries are focused on economic recovery, but as part of the economic recovery, we have to include climate change. So I think it is key to start that momentum and to understand, I think, a little bit of sustainability. I think the more that we all understand that the better that you take care of, of, of your environment, it means just more jobs. It is good for the economy. It's good for everybody. Um, I think the more momentum that we'll have. Panama is among several Latin American countries that recently severed diplomatic ties with Taipei. And I want to talk for a bit, if we can, about foreign policy beyond what we've referenced, migration and climate change, to go into some of the geostrategic issues facing people in your position throughout Latin America. As you'll recall, after Panama switched its diplomatic recognition to Beijing in 2017, surprising and disappointing the U.S. government at the time, the Dominican Republic and El Salvador did the same the following year. We're now about five years after that decision, and I'm interested in how you evaluate the impacts in Panama in terms of its diplomatic relationships, but also economically. Has China, for example, lived up to its investment promises, including plans for a $4.1 billion high-speed train, a major electricity transmission project? And I wonder whether you assess any permanent change in Panama's historically close relationship with the United States from Panama's decision to sever diplomatic ties with Taiwan in favor of a formal relationship with Beijing? We, we don't foresee um, any significant impact. I don't think we've had it so far. And we are, um, the, the U.S. has been the long, long, always strategic partner and ally for Panama. It continues to be. And, and with this administration, I think uh, there's a great deal of hope that we can not only maintain it, but increase it and strengthen it. Um, with regards to China, we I think we've maintained a, a very clear and transparent policy. China is one of the big powerhouses in terms of trade and, and economic right now um, that Panama having the, 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 the canal and its importance and how much trade uh, goes through that coming from Asia. It is clearly uh, to Panama's interest to have a relationship with China. Um, 
we understand, I think, and we're very clear and transparent in terms of um, how we can foster and develop this strategic relationship with regards to trade, with regards to investment, to um, all the things that I think um, so far we're looking in terms of uh, economic recovery, as we all countries were striving to look for resources that can uh, that can create uh, or generate all those jobs that that might be lost because of the crisis. Just to dig a little further into this issue, and I know it's a delicate one, and, and you know, arguably the biggest challenge for someone like you. But I, I wonder, from the U.S. perspective, if there are ways that the U.S. might support Panama um, and lessen dependence on China. This is something that the Trump administration grappled with and the Biden administration is committed to as well. Uh, It's difficult to imagine taking the place of China on trade, but certainly when it comes to investment, for example, one would think that the United States might be as important or more important a player in Panama. Do you get the sense that, that you have advice for you know, external actors like the United States, maybe Japan and others, um, if they would like to compete more effectively with China in Central America, in Panama, what they might do? I think that the first important thing was to turn your eyes towards Latin America, which I think is something that is starting to happen. Um, And and we commend it and we're excited about this uh, renewed interest in the region, which I think it is critical. Um, this is a very, very critical moment where most countries, first of all, they're, they're driving the, the economies, they're driving labor, they're driving. So we're, we all have this immense need for international, uh, interest and investment to sort of, uh, reactivate what is happening at the moment. So I think that trade missions, I mean, um, to the extent that you have found an even playing level playing field um, as, as a place like Panama, where we've made uh, we have a new, for instance, public bid lot where it makes it extremely clear, clear digitalized. I mean, so you have um, the perfect conditions. You just need to tour, uh, to direct your attention, and uh, I think it's ripe for investment and renewed interest. But the government has to drive that interest. So the, to the extent that we start seeing what we had at some point where uh, you had trade missions, you had uh, a group of investors coming in and checking out what are all these investments. And for instance, you know, we were talking about climate change and sustainability. There are a lot of investors that are uh, mission driven for this uh, sustainable uh, investment. We have a great deal of those, and we hope that we can get that attention. The U.S. tensions with China have not improved since the U.S. election, as I referenced, and as we have discussed, and clearly it's a diplomatic challenge for, for Latin American governments. I'm wondering, however, if you might see some potential upsides for Panama. And, and let me explain. You know, the bad blood between Washington and Beijing And the supply chain disruptions that we've seen from the pandemic have led to a lot of conversations about nearshoring manufacturing from China, from East Asia to Latin America, where presumably the transportation would be more reliable, the cost might be lower, and you could benefit from existing economic interdependence. So I'm wondering, you know, from your kind of foreign commercial perspective, whether Panama is well situated to benefit from this reordering of global supply chains that that might or might not occur 
in the coming years. You know, I'll note that Panama is, of course, already this very famous logistics hub. It's known for its transshipment capabilities and, frankly, it pioneered free trade zones, duty-free zones. So the idea is whether Panama is well-positioned to take advantage of some of the nearshoring that, that's expected to happen naturally and that, frankly, the United States government is encouraging right now. We have, in fact, followed very closely this initiative. We we hope to be to actually start soon. We have not seen it yet, but we're hoping. Um, we have all the conditions, uh, not only from, as you mentioned, you know, our free trade zones or the investments area, but we have now new laws, for instance, on manufacturing, where um, they get a number of uh, incentives to promote that kind of investment. But not only that, um, Panama within the region. It is the reliable and stable partner. We just went out to the market last year, both the government and private sector, and it was overwhelmingly positive, the bond issuance that we have. It was the first for the government. And that just shows you that um, the, the market, particularly the banking sector, believes in Panama, knows uh, how reliable it is. So when you add that uh, financing component to to what we have to offer in addition to uh, from the digital perspective, we have seven uh, fiber optics. The main communications go through Panama. So um, it is the ideal place to to for this kind of investments. We are just hoping that we'll see that crystallize and actual uh, opportunities developing. Before we conclude in just a minute, I want to ask just sort of what the communications challenge is for you, particularly in a time where it's so difficult to travel. You know, Central America, when it is talked about at all in the United States, it's almost entirely the so-called Northern Triangle, the, you know, quite dangerous and much less developed countries of El Salvador, Honduras and Guatemala and questions related to migration, which you and I have talked about. You know, the U.S. and Panama, of course, have a very deep and long history and, and close relations. But it does seem like the Central America conversation is very much dominated by three countries. I wonder, you know, what your strategy is for making sure that when decisions like nearshoring or when U.S. government priorities are established for Latin America, that Panama finds itself, you know, where it belongs on the radar of senior Biden administration officials, but also, you know, private sector actors. I, I agree that there's been a lot of focus on that particular, um, those three countries because of the migration. And as I mentioned at the beginning, um, we have to think of that other migration that is happening. Um, but also, and, and more important, because of the conditions that we have, I think, within the Panama Canal and the geostrategic geostrategic hub that we are. Um, all the planes that are going through Latin America connect through Panama. Um, so it's not only the ship, but through air. And with the pandemic and everything that's happened, um, when you were trying to get relief because of the hurricanes, because of uh, medicines that were required, Panama was the hub. And if you want to articulate properly, um, the political way that you connect is very important. So I think that uh, we've tried to position ourselves. We are very much aligned with the U.S. in terms of valuing the rule of law and democracy. So if they can position themselves through us with our leadership regionally, I think they will be much more effective. Madam Foreign Minister, I so appreciate your participating in this conversation. Congratulations on your on your position. Good luck with the enormous challenges, but also opportunities that you've just described. I hope that we can continue this conversation and particularly in person in Panama City or in Washington sometime soon. Yes, that would be great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. 
This episode of To The Point was produced and edited by Oscar Cruz. For more on this subject, visit our website, www.wilsoncenter.org lap. Thanks for listening.